Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Podcast. To find out more about the Worklife Hub and to listen to other episodes, please go to www.worklifehub.com. Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Hub Podcast. I am your host, Agnes Uheretsky. If this is the first time that you are tuning in, let me just say a few words about this podcast. We speak to authors, researchers, business thought leaders, for them to share their knowledge and insight on work-life balance, leadership, culture change and organizational development. In our work at the Worklife Hub, we help companies reform their workplace to create a culture that embraces diversity and work-life balance. We are passionate about building vibrant and engaging workplaces that are great for employees and customers. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do this via Twitter at WorkLifeHub, on our LinkedIn page or on our website. We're always happy to hear how you like the podcast or any other ideas that you would like to share with us. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the listeners of the Work Life Podcast. This is Agnes Uheretsky, your host. And today I'm joined from Los Angeles, so almost uh, from the other end of the world, by Derek Lido, Professor Derek Lido. Hi, good morning, Derek. Good morning, Agnes. It's great to be here. Well, I'm super thrilled to be having you. As a, just a way of brief introduction, um, Derek is a global CEO. He started a number of companies from scratch and also worked at large corporations. He's an innovator and entrepreneur himself. Um, he's also a professor at Princeton University and where he co-created and co-started the design thinking curriculum and also a mentor and coach to startups, a speaker and also an author. He wrote a number of books um, from startup leadership to back in 2014 to his current book called Building on Bedrock. This is a 2018 book. It's called Building on Bedrock, what Sam Walton, Walt Disney and other great self-made entrepreneurs can teach us about building valuable companies. And I believe that the world may not yet know, but I think they desperately need your book from what I have read inside. So we'll talk a little bit later about the book itself. But before we do that, may I ask you, Derek, to tell listeners a little bit about yourself, your passion and how this book came about? I have a bit of an unusual background in in that um, I was uh, trained as an academic uh, with a a PhD in in applied physics from Stanford, but then I decided to go into the real world and uh, had a career in uh, in industry, uh, rising through the ranks in the semiconductor industry, a high-tech very competitive field and ultimately became a CEO of a global international semiconductor company. And then I did the unusual thing of of retiring from that very successful position in order to start a business from scratch. Uh, That business was called iSupply. And um, uh, about a decade later, um, it it achieved the success that I was uh, hoping, and a very large company uh, came and um, acquired uh, iSupply uh, in a good deal for everybody involved. And at that point, uh, Princeton University uh, invited me to come and help expand their entrepreneurship curriculum. 
which I've been doing with uh, by creating classes on such subjects as entrepreneurial leadership and also how you get these great ideas that uh, can help um, make the world better with uh, starting up a design thinking curriculum. Mm -hmm. And um, how did the book came about? Well, this book, Building on Bedrock, um, came about because I felt that the conversation today, uh, certainly in the Western world, about entrepreneurship has really gotten uh, far away from uh, helping people be entrepreneurs. Uh, we're all excited uh, to read about uh, these um, uh, new companies that create phenomenal amounts of wealth in very short periods of time and uh, the the characters involved with uh, founding them or taking the companies through uh, one phase or another um, make for great uh, reading. But ultimately, these are not the role models that uh, we need to have to help the people uh, understand what their real career choices are and whether or not entrepreneurship is a good thing for them. So uh, all this dialogue and fixation on these uh, unicorns and, and the like has actually scared people away from considering entrepreneurship as, as something that uh, makes sense for their life and what they personally want to accomplish. So I felt that a book was uh, essential to, to write at this point to um, uh, reframe the conversation or get it back to where uh, it needs to be about how entrepreneurs really uh, get started. What are some um, great role models uh, to um, become familiar with that we can each personally empathize with and use uh, to help shape our own actions? I'm so happy you wrote the book <laughs> and you say this because we have founded the Work-Life Hub back in 2014 and particularly as a woman as well, you know, going to all these startup events, it was a lot of um, guys, uh, young men who were pitching their ideas and almost exclusively with the ambition to make a lot of money fast. You know, it was all about who is going to acquire us, how many apps people will have to download um, for us to make a million or a 10 million. And I, I always felt that something was missing in, in, in all of this conversation. And, and a lot of it is almost seems to be a separate silo, which is sustainability, which is job creation, which is creating value and um, really helping customers and solving problems. It was very much um, an umbilical kind of thinking about entrepreneurs uh, themselves, especially, I guess, in their ecosystems. So uh, it very much resonates all of this with our own story of founding our own company. But I wanted to maybe approach the conversation from an angle where we we could you know talk a little bit about why people create or set up companies and 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 i wanted to get your take on on what would you say is the definition of success because almost feels like that a lot of these success stories of the zuckerbergs and the um, instagram guys or whoever it is, is is focusing on you know a lot of wealth very quickly um, and then spending that on, on nice things, but also we hear a lot of 
you know people working themselves to death and really burning out and 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 just overwork and so do you also agree that that why we do this or why young people or people would in general go for entrepreneurship are also a bit this really distorted expectations of of what it actually is um this we we have um really um done a disservice to um uh, citizens and um, and people because um, we, we've set the standard or this concept of entrepreneur as somebody that disrupts these big entire industries and uh, is a uh, a hero. The, the The problem is that there's only um, a few of those people <laughs> that uh, one Elon Musk. <laughs> right, exactly. And yet, uh, if you look at what the, the data shows, all the 99.9% of all the companies that are created, 93% of all the jobs that are created, the, 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 the growth in our economy rests on the entrepreneurs that build businesses using a, a classic methodology of, of wanting to make profits of wanting to build it slow and steady, of wanting to reduce or minimize their personal risk. This isn't about rolling the dice all or nothing. It's about um, ultimately achieving your own personal satisfaction through delivering happiness to customers and, and asking for money in return. It's as simple as that, but we've forgotten that. Yes, absolutely. In, in, in all of this now, with, with how the economy is going, do you, do you believe that it's still possible to build big, sustainable businesses like uh, Walmart or Disney, some of them, which are also in your book, or Ikea? Because that's also about long-term thinking. It's about an entrepreneurial responsibility towards job creation and, and being an employer. And you know, all this, but do you think that this is still possible? It's, it's very possible. The, this concept of um, uh, Silicon Valley concept of you want to shoot for the moon and use other people's money and you have to grow as quickly as possible really is focused on uh, three or four industries, the software, portions of software, not all of software and uh, electronics and, and biotech, but it really is not uh, a model that uh, is suitable for 90 some odd percent of all the other industries. So in, in here in the United States, the uh, government keeps statistics on its businesses and there are over a thousand different business categories. And only five of those categories, five of the thousand, are the ones that uh, venture capital invests. Okay, so here we are. The world needs people to help build buildings. It needs uh, food to be prepared. It needs uh, services to be provided to the needy or the young or uh, the busy or the mothers. It needs these things that um, ultimately must be created 
using the classic, what I call bedrock uh, uh, sets of uh, objectives and principles. And uh, the world needs that. Now, still, we, so we create uh, many, many businesses uh, using the bedrock uh, methodology and even tech businesses. Uh, Michael Dell, Dell Computer, is, is a bedrock company. Uh, it made profits from its very first computer and really never required uh, uh, seeking the help of uh, venture capitalists. So, yes, it's very possible this is still and will remain the dominant way that uh, jobs are created and, and economies grow. And uh, it's just unfortunate that we're scaring away people from wanting to try because they think that unless they have this fabulous idea that's going to disrupt an entire industry and uh, – in, unless they're uh, brilliant at writing computer code, that uh, they have no chance whatsoever for being s successful on their own. And there's, I think there's also a, a quite a strong ageism and gender discussion in this because all these entrepreneurs that are really portrayed as, as to emulate are very, very young, um, whereas I don't think I knew who I was at 23, um, the age of Mark Zuckerberg. So um, the age back then, of course, not now. So when you when you teach uh, with your students, do you find that some of your role is to put their heads straight about these maybe not realistic ideas about what it is to, to build a business? Uh, absolutely. I do that with the students and, and also all, many other entrepreneurs that come to me and ask uh, for advice and, and help uh, of all ages. And um, the, the greatest chances for being successful as an entrepreneur are actually um, in your late 30s, not in your early 20s. And it, it all gets down to this, uh, a fundamental principle of entrepreneurship that's always been true and always will be true. And, and ultimately, entrepreneurs are, are, are individuals that figure out how to make some group of uh, people happy enough that they gladly give them money in return. And it's and when you when you bring it down to its simplest essence, we don't know how to make other people super happy until we've been out in the world and developed uh, skills and tried things out. And, and so your experience is, is the, uh, the best experience for entrepreneurs and, and young people, even if they happen to be uh, very proficient at writing computer code, they really don't know enough about other people on what it takes to make them happy, either as uh, consumers and especially as uh, business people. So we, we have uh, lost sight of this, and, uh, and that's contributing to this decline of people wanting to be entrepreneurs uh, throughout the Western world. I mean, so much uh, great insight there, what you, what you just said about, firstly, I think <clears throat> your message is so important because you said that it's, it's to figure out how to make a group of people happy, right? It's not about going global or 
figuring out that one platform, that one solution that's going to solve everyone's problems, which I think particularly in, for example, the US must be quite daunting where you have a 600 million market. You know, I'm based in Belgium. It's I only just have to figure out how to make 10 million people happy. <laughs> but but I think that's so important to get get that kind of piece right, that that you you need to figure out who are going to be your your ideal customers, the ones you can serve the best and not serve up something mediocre for everyone. Yes. Well, and, and, and you have to make them happy enough that they gladly give you money in return, that they, that they want you to continue doing it and, and, uh, and showering you with, uh, you know, uh, with money. And that's, that's incredibly hard. And it also is, um, something that we've lost sight of is that this is actually entrepreneurship at its core is an emotional transaction. It has been distanced by us putting so much of these transactions on the web where we don't really know or have a direct relationship with these people. But that has caused a great spike in um, the failure rates of, of entrepreneurs because they really have no idea whether they're making their, their customers happy or not. And, um, and when we lose sight of these fundamental principles of entrepreneurship, causing more and more failures, and we're uh, creating more and more mediocre businesses that the world really doesn't want and aren't going to be around for a long time. Right. And, and it's these companies that are in um, lush uh, WeWork uh, offices and spending other people's money, right? And so by the time they're through the the funding um and they're just not making any any profits or any revenue then they fail and and i think what you said there is so important that because of this new kind of entrepreneurial behavior these failure rates you know are are portrayed to be incredibly scary and off-putting for many it says you know 90 percent of businesses fail or and it's so true what you said, that there is no qualitative element in this statement that 90% of the really bad businesses fail. <laughs> it, it, it's true, this, this concept that, uh, oh, you know, it's good to fail. Uh, fail fast and fail often. Well, um, that, that's not really a good strategy. Uh, because failure is costly and not just in money and wasted time, but also in relationships uh, and uh, failing uh, multiple times uh, ultimately hurts uh, hurts a lot of people and uh, is, is not necessary. Yes, it's it's important to do experiments. Uh, when you're starting a business and even when you're after you've uh, created a successful business, we all have to do experiments and not every experiment uh, works as, as we expected. But experiments are not failures because experiments gives us vital information, new information that wasn't available before that allows us to do a better job going forward. But it's not about failing. It's about experimenting that we need to to f focus back on here. Absolutely. Now, one question that I really wanted to ask you when I was reading your book is that some of the work that 
I have been doing in the past related to policy making, so European Union policy making about fostering entrepreneurship and we're just running a, a project on looking at the IT uh, sector and, and boosting the participation of women in that sector. But in general, we know that innovation is good, we know that entrepreneurship is good, but in terms of supporting budding entrepreneurs, more from a policy side, so from a state side, we have here, for example, you know, information offices or chambers of commerce where you can go to and they can tell you about the actual process, so the paperwork of setting an, up a company. And then you have, a, you know, different incubators for your different sectors. But somehow I always felt that these um, public organizations or semi-public or maybe even non-governmental they weren't really equipped to support entrepreneurs. So you who have done it yourself, who are mentoring uh, startups and also teaching entrepreneurship, what do you think is, is the thing that entrepreneurs need in terms of support that, that you don't see really out there coming from maybe this public infrastructure? Yes, well, it's a, a very... Uh, good question, an essential question, and an important topic. Ultimately, we, we are talking about the wrong type of entrepreneurship. So when we, uh, the incubators and, and even the, the classes that we talk about, we're inundated with questions about, um, well, where, where can I raise the money? Uh, how how do I uh, you know set up a highly quickly scalable company? These are the things that um, the questions that get asked. But it's where we we're spending the time uh, in our dialogues with these aspiring entrepreneurs, and uh, it's really leading them down the wrong path. Uh, we, we need to to um, reorient our entrepreneurial education to be far more focused and helpful in um, identifying what are profitable things to do and what are the things that we can do that ultimately are going to make some group of people uh, a lot happier than they are uh, right now and, and happy enough that they're willing to uh, part with money in, in return. So we have to get back to the right type, a different type of entrepreneurial education and entrepreneurial dialogue. And, uh, and our, if our policies are going to uh, subsidize these accelerators that um, uh, give very quick 12-week programs, and then you have your your demo day, and then you're shot out like a, you know, fired off like a rocket into the world with expectations of uh, uh, being successful in, in uh, a few months. Well, um, we're, 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 that's what we're getting, is we're getting a lot of junk being created and this isn't what's going to create jobs and innovation and, and the things that uh, we so desperately need from our entrepreneurs. Yeah, one of my favorite motto is, uh, you know, from programmers that um, 
try to fix the bugs, but if you don't, if you cannot fix them, sell them as a feature. All <laughs> <Yeah>, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's very, very good point. So it's basically really about the system of who, what kind of um, accelerators, incubators are we financing? What is their own business model, basically, on how they get their money? What are the KPIs that they have to show for in terms of churning out new uh, potential unicorns and maybe taking really a more realistic look at actually how long it takes? I mean, it takes years um, and not just 12 weeks. Absolutely. Your book is full of really, really inspiring stories and testimonies and 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 um, uh, experiences of of entrepreneurs and businessmen. Do do you have a favorite um, uh, favorite story from your book? Well, the 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 story that I start the book out with is um, one of Sam Walton, and it was at a very critical time. It was 17 years into his uh, entrepreneurial journey when he was um, uh, creating Walmart. And his first Walmart store, which he had opened up uh, the year before, wasn't doing all that well. And um, and so he, he uh, was opening a second store. And if the second store didn't do well, um, his whole concept would be um, something that he, he wouldn't be able to uh, afford uh, and finance himself. But uh, this opening of the second store... Uh, took place in, in um, the South during the summer, and it was a very, very hot day. And Sam Walton, uh, who uh, loved to think about how to attract customers and make customers happy, had um, put on a lot of sale merchandise that was at very low prices. Uh, he arranged for donkey rides in the um, in the parking lot to, to keep the kids happy. And he, um, as his sort of tradition in, in that part of uh, the country, he bought every watermelon he could find within uh, a day's drive. So thousands of watermelons, and he stacked them up in front of his store and offered them for uh, incredibly low prices. And he attracted a lot of people. But because it was a hot day, ultimately, um, some of those watermelons that were stacked out in front of the store started bursting. And because there were a lot of families there with kids, then the donkey ride was very successful. There was no time to clean up the donkey poop. And the donkey poop and the watermelon juice commingled and they and they spread in a river <laughs> all around, including into the new store. And uh, there were some competitors uh, uh, watching uh, this store opening, and they were scratching their head. They were thinking, this is the worst uh, store opening we've ever seen. The Sam Walton guy is uh, going to go out of business very quickly. Uh, we don't have to worry about this. But what, they, but what they forgot, they lost sight of again, was that the customers in this region Sam Walton created his stories in small little villages, uh, you know, towns, 3,000 people. Well, these, these were people that, that lived on farms or lived next to farms. And so these smells weren't putting them off. They, they felt at home. And 
uh, and so what if a, you know, some watermelons uh, burst open from the heat? This was a lot of fun and the prices uh, were amazing. And so the people, the customers loved it. But uh, American retail business at that point in time didn't understand uh, that they were uh, not paying any attention to these customers. And so they came up with the very, very wrong conclusion. And that store was super successful that day and forever after that and propelled uh, Sam Walton to be the most successful entrepreneur that ever lived. <laughs> That's a fantastic story. And I think in, me included, every listener is thinking, okay, my, you know, mistake on my job wasn't that, <laughs> you know, wasn't that yeah. bad. <laughs> Exactly. No, but I think that's great. And I mean, it's a lovely story as well, but also it, it really shows that there's nobody's, nobody's un, unfallible. And, you know, the important thing is just to do it, not to aim for perfection and, and wait and, and just try to make it absolutely perfect, but to go with maybe your guts even and, and try to, as you say, keep, keep the customers happy and that's what matters. Slow and steady progress, keep on experimenting um, and, uh, and keep your eye on the customer and their reaction. And, uh, and that's a, uh, a very powerful formula. Now, before we go to the last question, Derek, may I ask you to tell listeners where they can find out more about your work, um, maybe get in touch with you and find out more about the book? Uh, certainly. Um, I have a, a website, uh, DerekLido.com. That's D-E-R-E-K-L-I-D-O-W.com, one word. And uh, you can find... Lots of additional writings. You can see my classes. You can uh, uh, hear other talks that I've given. And so that's an excellent place. I, um, I am also uh, found at, at Derek Lido uh, on Twitter. Uh, and I have a, a LinkedIn uh, profile and uh, have uh, m many people that have connected with me uh, via LinkedIn. And I uh, am very open to connecting with everybody. I do answer all my emails. Um, and my uh, Princeton email is uh, dlidow at princeton.edu. And I always uh, look forward to hearing from aspiring and nascent entrepreneurs and uh, hearing of their stories and if I can help, um, I'm glad to do that. That's my mission now that uh, that uh, my my entrepreneurship journey is was successfully completed. Uh, I hope to help more people be successful entrepreneurs. Do you think you may still uh, start another business? This is just a totally spontaneous question. <laughs> I really have uh, my work cut out for for me in uh, helping educate people on how to be more successful uh, as entrepreneurs. And I feel that that's uh, really my, my mission and my passion at this point. Great. Now, coming to the last question, if I could ask you, Derek, to give one advice to a budding entrepreneur, um, what do you find is, is, is most important or what would you pick as a first one? Well, it's about preparation. 
So with good preparation, your chances of starting a successful company are very, very high. And uh, so, so it's about uh, thinking about being an entrepreneur now and hopefully maybe even reading the book, which just lays out very simply what you can do to prepare. But this preparation is something that uh, very few people do. They sort of uh, tend to jump in rather than, uh, than think about it. And uh, that's the single biggest thing that an entrepreneur, an aspiring entrepreneur can do to, to uh, make sure their chances of success are as high as possible. That's great. Well, thank you so much for sharing so generously your expertise and insight with the listeners. I've really enjoyed this conversation and I can only recommend your book to anyone who is seriously thinking about building a business. Well, I, it's been a great pleasure um, talking with you and uh, I look forward to crossing paths again very soon. And, uh, and always willing to talk about uh, building on bedrock. Thank you.